investing in property makes sense. Investing in the right property takes knowledge. Welcome to the Rewarding Property Decisions podcast. I'm Jared McCabe, Director of Wakeland Property Advisory. Join me for expert insights into the fundamentals, trends and opportunities to help you create long-term wealth through smart property decisions. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 62 of the Rewarding Property Decisions podcast. So there's been plenty of discussion in recent times around the rental crisis in the media specifically. So I've decided to bring in our uh, rental guru today, Jordan Telfer. Welcome, Jordan. Thanks, Jared. Good to be here again. So we wanted to discuss a number of hot topics, particularly around the um, the rental crisis or so-called rental crisis that, um, that the country's experiencing. We'll obviously focus more so on Melbourne because that's what we know. Um, but there has been a fair amount of angst from both sides in this space, both from investors and from tenants. Um, so Jordan and I thought we'd discuss that today. Now, we're not claiming that we're going to have all the answers to all of the, the problems or the, the topics that have been raised, but we wanted to look at perhaps some of the practical discussions going forward and, and things that need to be considered before either side of the argument um, is going to put forward their um, ways of fixing the problem and whether or not all elements have been considered. So the, probably the main one, Jordan, that we've heard about and that's been probably front of mind, and it's it's probably been toned down a little bit in recent times with some of the um, federal government discussion, has been the rental freeze and, and the, the caps on, on rental increases. Um, so what are your thoughts there? I mean, it's it has been toned down, so it's probably a, a little bit of a moot point now, but I think it's still worth going into a bit of detail on. Yeah, it is. Um, they're probably the two obvious ones that have been thrown up um, from a Victorian perspective yep. and using precedent, I suppose, overseas and also interstate. Um, so particularly in Canberra, where yep. there's a um, there's a or in the ACT there's caps on um, on rentals. There's some in New Jersey. I think there was a study done in New Jersey or something. And there's but there's also some in California around yeah. San Francisco and things the too, New isn't there? Jersey one I think more relates to um, rent controls. Right. So controlling. So it's more along the line of rent freezes. Yep. That sort of thing. Yep. Um, I think there's an element too there though of only being able to increase rents. Yes. Three uh, by three or four percent over a certain period of time is yeah, what okay. I was reading too. So yeah. there, there's definitely something. There's definitely controls there. Yeah. Um, but I, from what I've also read, I don't think it's having the greatest of impact either. Well, there's there's pros and cons as with most things, isn't there? Yeah. And what some researchers have um, have drawn a line or a link between is those properties that have some form of rent control on them. Is that there's a disincentive for owners to actually maintain their properties. Yeah, and that's what's been found, is yeah. that, so it's, it's all well and good to have these controls, but um, the incentive to actually then go and maintain them because they're not able to increase income is not there. And that's sort of almost flies in the face of the Residential Tenancies Act changes that were brought in um, a year or two ago. And some of those were a little bit over the top, but a lot of them were genuine and absolutely fair and reasonable. Yeah. So it's going, you sort of, with one hand saying, we want you to increase and, and make it a better quality of property, but in the other, you're not, we're not giving the, um, ability to be able to do that. Creating the environment for that, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, and there's, if there's a disincentive, well, then that ultimately impacts um, the quality of the property that are being presented to people for rent yeah. and um, and probably ultimately the uh, the numbers of, um, of properties there that are, that are available. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the, pool. the rental freezes, I guess, some of the issues that, that have been raised with that, I think, which are genuine, is that by doing that, um, it, it's also happening too, in a time where a lot of investors suffered fairly significant losses during the pandemic um, and, and, were, and, and 
made rental reductions for, for tenants um, rightly, um, and there was support given to tenants to um, to be able to to be able to get through that time. But they've they've worked their way through it only to now when the market starts to work in the uh, the owner's favour to have that turned away. And then when you get interest rates increasing the way they have over the past eighteen months. Um, you get, as we said before, the changes to the Residential Tenancies Act, but also the land tax changes that are coming in next year. It seems like um, there's a lot of things that are being, a lot of headwinds that are being put in front of them. Yeah, it's sort of death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. The rental freeze, I think people forget that really, in effect, if people are uh, like the, the Greens policy uh, at a federal level, yep. um, that Oh, I think in the last few days anyway, that with the, the housing fund that the Albanese government has um, finally come to agreement with, they've, Correct. they've dropped that yep. demand for a two-year. But certainly in Victoria, there's, there's in effect a rental freeze anyway for 12 months. You yeah. sign up a 12-month lease, You're you can't let- rent it anyway. So what they, they would argue is, well, we're looking for one more year. Yeah. But what it is, it's at a practical level and also, I suppose, at a, a subconscious level, I think a lot of private investors certainly feel that, well, this is just another just another layer of um, cost or Prevention. restriction mm. as to how they can um, how they can run and manage their own properties. Um, those that, yeah, the residential tenancies, like, we won't go too far there because I think, as you said, Jared, there are well, a lot of those reasonable. And you and I have had discussions about that mm. in previous podcasts as well about what's been brought in there. And, and as you said, they've, we've said in the past, a lot of it was was fair and reasonable and justifiable to make sure that properties are being brought up. The problem, the problem with the res- with the changes is that it probably hasn't hit those that it needed to hit because a lot of the the Goes so-called slumlords and things that they're not there's not re- they're not formal leases in place on any of those properties anyway. So what's... They're, they're working in the shadows, correct? And they never engage a property yeah. manager who um, is incumbent. What's incumbent on the property manager to you know do their best anyway to make sure that. Um, the Residential Tenancies Act is being adhered to. Correct. So yeah. it's... Sort of slips through the cracks, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, they do. But then there's obviously the land tax um, COVID levy, supposedly temporary, but when it's over 10 years, 10 it's years. not temporary. No. Um, so that will that's going to draw in and capture a lot of people whom um, the idea of paying land tax never crosses their mind. No. Um, the threshold having been Especially reduced, apartment owners. Yeah. Apartment owners, yeah, yeah. particularly. Um, so that's on, on fairly modest... Uh, site values, people could be looking up to $975 that they wouldn't have had to have yeah. even factored in. Now, and that's that's and considerable. It, and it only goes further from there then too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, as you, as you move through. So, I mean, there's already two to three weeks of rent just gone like that. Yeah. So, uh, again, on top of all sorts of other costs, mortgages, interest rates, um, insurance costs, OC levies we're noticing starting to rise and we're looking at contracts for various yep. apartments and sometimes justifiably they needed to. But it's just another, another yeah. thing, one death, after the as other. As you said, death so, by thousand cuts, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't encourage, certainly, the private investor market. And then this, what that leads to, as you said before, is we don't get the reinvestment in the in the quality of the properties either. Um, and part of that's contributed further by the fact that there is such high demand at the moment. Um, it, it had been going where, and I know the, a lot of the advice that you'd been giving to our clients was that, a, the, particularly with apartments, the older style apartments need to keep up with the more modern ones. But when the the rental market starts to move the way it has and is, there's such a low vacancy rate, it probably takes a bit of the pressure off the investor to have to do that because there is tenant demand for possibly lesser quality, which there wouldn't have been 18 months ago. Um, so, But they are less likely to reinvest in the property or, which we're starting to see a lot of and agents are saying, they're just going to sell. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. And there's and particularly in the apartment, and from what I'm hearing, the townhouse market. Um, that's where a lot of people are getting to that point where they just say, well, oh, this property's either served its purpose or it hasn't served its purpose or it's too expensive for me to hold. I'm just going to move on and I'm going to re- either re- invest my money in a different type of property or in a totally different asset class. Yeah, outside of the um, <clears throat> property market in, in general. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, there's there's, there's a couple of things there that um, well well-intentioned with the um, capping rental increases, rent freezes, um, Interestingly, Victoria is in the last month or so said that they're not considering now the um, capping rental increases. Yep. Um, rent freezes. I think that's still a bit. Um, who knows? I think they, they, they have tended to step away from it, though. I think with the, as you said before, with the federal government's um, housing scheme coming through, I think that's sort of made everyone step back from the, the caps and the um, and the rent freezes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing too that I think is worth a discussion, and, and it's quite timely actually, because this morning yep. um, there's a uh, well, there's an ex- a report on an expectation that next week the Victorian government will place a seven and a half percent levy on Airbnb, or I shouldn't say Airbnb because there's other they're, they're just a provider of, but the short stay accommodation um, accommodation market. Yep. Um, and that would be seven and a half percent levy tax. Call it what you will on a nightly on a nightly right. uh, rent. On top of that's yeah, yeah any well, management that, that's, fee and things that is being charged yeah yeah so I mean that will obviously feed through eventually through to the uh, the rent so the, to speak yeah yeah, yeah the, the guest if you like um, but that's expected next week to okay. be one of the announcements so have they have they announced when that's likely to kick in is it no, a twenty four no. thing or yeah, not that okay. I'm aware of no. yeah that was just this morning that I quickly read an article yep. on that um, but that was mooted for a little while now and the idea being um, to draw a, a revenue source to then uh, invest in social housing, yep. more, more housing in the areas. And they tend to be the tourist areas. So, yep. for instance, say Mornington Peninsula, where uh, the local market has been shut out probably a, a, over the last few years, probably since COVID, shut yeah. out of their local rental market and creating all sorts of problems. Um, whether that has the impact, the desired impact, we'll, we'll wait and see. Time will tell, because yeah. Again, it's encar- trying to encourage people to take their properties and put it back onto the long-term market, the local long-term market. But I think it fails to consider the fact that um, I think in the morning peninsula, is about the average stay is about 50 to 52 days a year. Mm-hmm. That is actually leased out, for want of a better word, to the short-term rental market. But a lot of these people uh, who own these properties, um, they own it for that dual purpose of, sure, leasing it out, yeah. um, but... That's their holiday home. Yeah, I'll generate. I'll get some use out of it myself yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I don't think it's going to encourage an awful lot of people to say, "Well, I'm only leasing out fifty odd days a year, but I enjoy the use of that for yeah. you know Easter, end of the year, whatever it might be." So, um, I think you'll find exactly as you said that all it's going to do is just drive up the cost of occupying those properties. Yeah, and it doesn't get to the the ultimate, the crux of the issue as as we'll find whichever market we look at, the ultimate um, issue is supply. Mm. So these, these the Airbnbs tend to be in the tourist areas. There's just simply not enough of that type of property. No. So well, what do we do? Do we build more? Well, that creates all sorts of problems as well and that can fly in the face of why people like those parts Correct. of the world. Yep. It's um, it's an escape from the intensity of a city. Yep. So, But that's a story for another day. So your supply comment there is, is good. It swings us into the next. So there's been a lot of discussion around how to 
I guess, improve the rental situation that's around at the moment. And I think most people agree that the the, the, the area that needs fixing is supply. That's where we're going to, that's the way that we're going to ease the pressure on it. Easier said than done. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's typically probably three avenues to increasing supply. And I think that's probably something worth us having a discussion about. So the three avenues that that um, that can impre- increase the supply levels from a rental perspective are typically government housing. Um, mm, where typically the, social. Yep. Social housing. Whether it's the private investor getting involved, which is obviously where where we're heavily situated um, and the developing is that that institutional side of things and, and the build to rent type scheme. So let's have a look at all three of those. So if we start with government housing, it can typically be a bit of a slow process. It doesn't happen overnight. It needs to be a lot of planning put in place and understanding what's needed. Um, and my thought has been that for a long period of time, the idea has been to step away from that. There's been one, let's have a let, less reliance on government housing and more on private ownership, people owning their own properties where possible yeah. or private rentals. So it would be a switch back to what people, a, a previous time, and I don't necessarily think that's the right way to go. I think with all of these though, it's probably, there needs to be an element of each of them increasing. Yeah. Um, I don't know what your, your thoughts yeah, are. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, there's no appetite for government to be um, increasing supply broadly based across the market. No. I think that they've, they've got the enough, expectation. They've probably got enough debt at the moment as it yeah, is too. exactly. <laughs> um, I think there's a societal expectation that government at least um, looks after yeah, the absolutely. social housing side of things. And, the, and they're probably, uh, taking out the rental crisis, there's, there's still a shortage of social yeah, housing anyway. Has been for years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's probably, I think that there's there's the expectation that government looks after that side of things, but it leaves a big vacuum for, uh, well, big vacuum of, of, of demand yep. um, for other more, um, you know, orthodox, um, you know, sectors of the market. So the second one is the private investors. And as I said, that's that's where um, the space that we're probably most active in. Um, and the problem, I guess, that we're seeing at the moment, as we said before, is that it, the feeling from most private investors is that it's being discouraged rather than encouraged. Yeah, we're being got at. Yeah. So, that, I mean, it, it opens up a whole different, almost philosophical discussion as to what is the purpose of, of property. Yep. Is it as an investment vehicle or is it should it be purely viewed in terms of shelter for people? Um, and if there is a philosophical um, objection from government for private ownership, well, that's one thing, but it need, the vacuum needs to be filled. Mm. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that, but the vacuum needs to be filled. So who fills that vacuum? Yeah. Um, is it institutional? Um, and we're seeing a significant focus now on the bill-to-rent market. Yep. Um, they tend to be more apartment-type developments, yep. um, at least in the early... We're very much in the early stages here in Australia, and particularly in Melbourne, yep. with that model that's uh, more common in the United States and Europe. But it's an interesting one, and I think it has a place. Um, but it's got to be a generational shift in mindset too. I mean, the thing too, I think, is is that people need to get past is this from a, coming back to the private investor side of things is that these big bad in private investors that that own huge amounts of property they're big rich people that um, are waving their big sticks around at tenants when I think I read somewhere the other day 70 percent of investors only own one investment property mm. so there are a lot of there are many people that own a huge number of investment properties but there are a lot that only own one yeah um, 
And so, and they've been, a lot of those have battled their way through COVID to make sure that they can still hold that property to try and set themselves up for retirement, perhaps help their kids get into the market down the track as well. Um, we need private investors. Like you can't keep discouraging them from entering the market by continuing to put costs on top of them to um, make it harder and harder to own properties. As, unless, of course, there's a plan for that vacuum to be filled because private investors are a significant part of uh, of the market, mm. um, the housing market and the supply of, of housing. Yeah. And there's been tacit encouragement for a generation or two now um, for people to involve themselves in that yeah. process. Um, so there needs to be an alternative if there really is a, a desire, and it seems that way, to discourage private um, the private rental market. But the, also, the other side to that too is that part of that, I mean, it's, it's what are you going to, how are you going to supply alternate um, rental properties? But a lot of investors are using those properties when they come to retirement to fund that retirement. Mm. And if you're not going to give them that opportunity to do that, then they're going to have to look at other avenues um, or they're going to rely on more government support when they're in retirement, which I don't think anyone needs or wants either. So there's, there's private investors are not just there for from for their own perspective they're there to help a lot of others as well now that's not necessarily their mindset i'm not claiming that they're doing it for no absolutely (laughs) not but there's there's benefits to the to everyone else off the back of that too yeah so which brings us to that institutional side of things which you mentioned um and i think that's probably going to be the way to have the fastest impact in terms of increasing supply Mm. um it, but it is. It does need to be a, a mindset shift from an occupant's perspective too. As you said, it's been far more common in America and, and in Europe, but it hasn't been that way here. The good thing about it, I think, is that um, the institutions, even though you might say, well, are they going to build the right type of accommodation? Is there going to be too many apartments? And there will be because that's the easiest way to introduce it, I would say, into the market. But longer term, they're going to have to meet the market. If they're not constructing the type of property that, that tenants and occupants want, then they're going to have high vacancy rates and, and they're not going to have properties that are well-maintained. And to provide the income that uh, underpins the whole model. Correct. There's returns that are needed. It's very it's very black and white. There's returns that are needed. Otherwise, it's not an investment that yep. they want to be involved in. Now, there will necessarily be... Um, I would expect a premium rent, but then if the provision of services um, that they they can introduce to this sector of the market um, resonates with people, well, they may well get that premium. Yeah. Well, and that's where I guess it differs um, in terms of meeting the rental market to the, the build-to-sell market, where the build-to-sell market focuses more on we just want to get rid of the product and mm-hmm. we want to make a profit out of that product. Mm-hmm. We're not really worried about what the next stage is. And yeah. so if the product isn't of high quality and within five to 10 years, it's not falling apart, but certainly not necessarily holding together all that well, that's not gonna, tenants aren't going to cop that in the build-to-rent no. model. It's got to be built for the long term and, and for, so that the quality of that side of things should be better mm-hmm. too. So it, it, it should work in a lot of those ways. Um, for, for those occupants, I would have thought. Yeah. The other thing is too, that they, they can typically build those types of properties you would like to think within areas where infrastructure is already readily available, yeah. as opposed to developers continuing to um, worsen the urban sprawl, particularly that Melbourne has, um, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, but the infrastructure is just not there to, to justify, particularly from a public transport perspective. Yeah, I think the key though is 
it's supplying the type of property in the locations where people want to live, mm. but providing accommodation that people want to be in and what they need. Yep. Um, and I think that we need to we need to just to get away from this model, and this is the probably more cynical developer-driven model of, yep. well, look, get them up and get them out. One and two bedroom dog boxes yep. that are glorified hotel rooms that yep. really don't resonate with what, is, what Australians are probably looking for and Melbournians yep. um, in big numbers. Now, you can have apartment living, and I think that it is a bit of a mind shift um, for Australians sort of growing up and used to the outdoor spaces of their own plot of land. But you can provide apartments into the market, provided there's also great uh, greater consideration given to the supporting infrastructure um, and the amenity. Um, pe people, people can... Um, can probably come to it if is the product it, is right. Communal open space is going to be a big part of these developments, I think. Um, yeah. And I think if they don't, if that's not supplied or catered for in these developments, then they, particularly if they are, they do only have small outdoor spaces attached to the, the property, so for balconies, that sort of thing. If there's not a, a really good quality communal open space element to them or fairly close by, um, it's going to make them... Very marginal. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. 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 There's, there's too many of these developments that have had the open space, look great on the plans, but in reality, after a couple of years, they're either windswept, yep. there's no vegetation, they're just heat boxes during summer with some paving, a rudimentary sort of barbecue area, and mm. they're just unwelcoming. And typically when we're going through these apartments, they're never occupied. No. People don't tend to use them. It's just not providing the type of amenity that people are looking for. Yeah. So there needs to be really good design elements brought in, but it's not impossible. No. And people can get a really lovely quality of life um, in an area that they want to be in, close to the infrastructure that people tend to gravitate towards in those urban, um, in the urban areas, but in an apartment um, context. Yeah. Very good. Well, that's probably about it, I think. It was, I mean, I think that's covered off. It's, as, I, as we said at the start, we, were never, we weren't here to try and answer everyone's problems or questions, but it was more to discuss the different elements to make sure that, we, that there's a different perspective given on all. We think that, I guess, particularly the private investor and the, um, particularly the, the build to rent is probably going to be the best way to, to increase that supply level. But there needs to be a little bit less discouragement. I don't want to say more encouragement. I don't think it needs to be a, a big encouragement for investors. It just needs to be less discouragement. And I think that's, that's probably where a lot of investors are feeling a bit marginalised at the moment. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's what we're seeing anecdotally, certainly. Hmm. All right. Very good. Thanks again, Gordo, for uh, coming in and joining me. Thanks, Jared. So uh, thanks for um, joining us for episode 62 of the Rewarding Property Decisions podcast. As always, feel free to share the podcast far and wide, friends, family, colleagues, or anyone else who has an interest in property. Um, and if you'd like further information, visit our website, wakeland.com.au, and we wish you all the best with your property decisions. <laughs>